Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to share. And um, before I start, and thank you so much, Leanne. That was, I hope you all were, that was so much wisdom. I hope you were able to take it all in. <laughs> um, I um, Before I start, if you're going to follow along, and even if you're not, actually, there's, a, there's sort of a large typo. I, I made a little editing error here, and I'm sorry about that. In my... Um, the section under marriage moments. And I really just need you to take a black marker and like mark this out because it's sort of, because of the typo, the way that, that I did the editing was very poorly done on my part. It, um, it says the opposite of kind of what I want you to think about. <laughs> so the third sentence downward says, who is the taker in your life? You see that? Um, can, can you just scratch that out? It's, it's just not what I, what I was trying to get out there. So. <laughs> Um, I just, I just need to do that before we go. That way, even if I get to it and you're not, you know, you're not focusing, I don't want you to take this home and start asking yourself that question because it's not what I, I wanted us to focus on today. Um, I am speaking about faith and, um, t- uh, today, but, um, you know, I'm glad that Leanne spoke first because she prepared your hearts to think about faith. But, um, you know, I think sometimes that we, we simplify the subject of faith and we think of it um, in terms of belief. And faith um, is not about belief, it's about trust. And um, trust is something that we all struggle with. And um, part of what we have to trust is that what we're experiencing right now is leading us to the destination that God has for us. And I'm glad Leanne talked about that, just about not regretting our circumstances or using our current circumstances as an excuse or a complaint about why we can't do what God wants us to do, but rather to look at them and say, this is where God wants me right now. You have to trust that where you are now is part of God's plan for you. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, as a church, we're, if, if you go to Rio, you know that this year the theme is the story of the king and thinking of ourselves as subjects in a kingdom. But we're not just subjects, we're also children. And it says in Romans 8, if children, then also heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And that is a great, great heritage for us. We think of ourselves as the subject of a king. We're subject to him and to his great will. And we have to live for his glory and not our own. But on the other hand, we, are, we have been made into children and heirs with Christ. And that's a great honor. So there's a confidence and a humility that have to go together. And the only way you can live and that with both of those things is to have true faith in God. And we're going to talk about that today. And this will relate to marriage, but um, if, you know, if you need to think about this in terms of some other area of your life, go ahead and do that. I'm not going to focus as much on marriage as much as I will on the whole subject of faith in our lives as wives and mothers. Um, so I want to start by reading a parable about the kingdom. Um, and about our relationship to the king as his servants and ultimately as his heirs. Um, and this is in, in Luke 19. And if you have your Bible, you can follow with me. Otherwise, I'll just read it. Um, it's Luke 19, starting in verse 11. It is a little bit long, but I'm going to read the whole thing. As they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds and said to them, Do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, so he became a king, 
He ordered these slaves, to whom he had given the money, to be summoned so that he might find out what they had gained by trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. He said to him, Well done, good slave, because you've been trustworthy in a very small thing. Take charge of ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. He said to him, And you rule over five cities. Then the other came, saying, Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you, because you are a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money into the bank? Then, when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. He said to the bystanders, take the pound from him and give it to the one who has ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten pounds. I tell you, to all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now, I want to start in talking about this. Why does Jesus tell this parable? He always tells a parable to illustrate a point or to explain something to people that, they, that cannot be made clear by a simple and direct speech because they're not listening, because their hearts are not prepared. So he has to give them imagery to help them understand it. And it says so in the very beginning. Not, not all the parables, it doesn't always explain why he told them. But this one, it says right in the beginning, he told them this parable because they were near Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Their understanding of the kingdom of God was very short-sighted. It was very immediate. It was, we're going to get to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to go in. We're going to be the commanders of his army. We're going to beat up the Romans, kick them out, take back Israel, and we'll once again be our own independent city-state. They had this, Imagine if what they wanted is what came true. Would it affect our lives today? That military victory for some nation long since dispersed for thousands of years? Think how short-sighted it was, but they wanted it so badly. And I want to submit to you today, even though that that is a political context uh, that doesn't seem related to us, that when we pray, when we look at the circumstances that we have right in front of us, and we pray about those things, and we want to trust God and have faith in him for what he's doing in our lives, we want to see it immediately. We suppose that when we pray for something, we're going to receive it immediately, we, we ask God for results, we ask him for change, we ask him, and, and what do we do? We give him little tests too, Lord, I know that this is going to take a long time, but just give me a sign that, it, that you're really listening to me. <laughs> I, I used to study under this woman, and she said to me, she used to use this little phrase with me, she said, when you pray to God, no deals. Don't try to make deals with God. Don't do that. And I heard a preacher once say that, he said, sometimes I try to get God on my schedule, I'm, I give him a deadline, I say... Now, by this day, I want to see this happen. He said, oh, I stopped doing that because it messed my schedule all up because he didn't keep my deadlines, okay? And that's what we do. When we pray, we, want, we say, oh, well, you don't have to answer my whole prayer, but I want some kind of evidence that you're going to do. Please, that's because we're like the disciples. We suppose that when we ask God for something, we suppose that when God has a plan, it's going to happen immediately. And of course, that's, that's what we think we need to feed our faith. You understand? But that's not faith because that's about something you can see. Faith is about things that are not seen. You don't have faith in something you can see. Now, I want to say something to you. God's timing is intentional. God's timing is intentional. They used to, when I was a little girl, I, in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher used to say to me, God usually isn't early, but he's always on time because he's in charge, see? And um, listen, 
the change that you're asking for, the thing you're praying for, the thing that you desire to see happening in your life is already being affected through the very process of you waiting for it. Do you understand how that works? That's very difficult. That's sanctification. That's that painful thing we, we have to go through when we live out our Christian walk. And listen, while you're waiting in faith for whatever it is, I know all of you are waiting. I'm supposed to be talking about marriage right now. And uh, a lot of you are waiting for something to happen in your marriage. I know I've spoken to many of you about your marriages, and all of us go through periods in our life. No matter how strong of a marriage you have, you go through periods where you're waiting on the Lord to do something in your marriage. And you're trying to do everything you think you're supposed to do, but you're just waiting. And it could be a very small thing, and it could be something very scary. You're waiting for God to rescue your marriage. Or maybe you're just waiting for your husband to have a heart change, or maybe you don't you wish that he would participate more in the lives of your children. I mean, it could be any, any kind of thing. And you're waiting for this. And maybe it's not something in your marriage. Maybe it's something spiritual. Maybe it's related to your children. Maybe there's a family illness. But you're waiting and you're trying to see what is God going to do about this. And you do wish it would happen immediately. And you may even have a very humble heart and say, well, I know it isn't going to happen immediately, but it's hurting me to be waiting this long. Could it be? that what is in front of you right now, at this very moment, is actually what you're meant to be doing right now, is actually what you're meant to be experiencing, no matter how negative it may feel to you at this exact moment. Could it be that you could have a different perspective on what's in front of you instead of hoping that that thing in front of you will change and then your perspective will change? You see how I just reversed that order? Maybe, and listen, this isn't about getting a different attitude. That's a self-help talk from the world, okay? This isn't about you need to change your attitude and see the positive and just see all the blessings. that God. Some of you are like, no, I don't have any blessings in my life right now. And some of you ha- almost have a right to say that because there's been so much suffering going on. Maybe it's private, maybe it's public, I don't know. But the point is, what I'm saying to you is that that in and of itself can also be redemptive without undervaluing it. Without, without, I don't want to take that away with a cliche and say, just change your attitude. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, the Lord spoke to me a long time ago. I had really, I, I was going into a career. I was going to be a university professor. I was going to be a minister. I had all these different things that were lined up for me. And I had a surprise child and then more children. <laughs> and the Lord began to call me to stay at home and homeschool my children. And I thank God more than anything else that that's what I'm doing right now. I I praise God for it every day. I would be miserable if I was doing anything else. I I know that. I say it with utter confidence. But I, I had to grow into this attitude through being discipled hardcore by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord spoke to me one day. I was in church and I was praying. And the Lord said to me, you know, you had big plans for your life. But I have a better one. Please go with my plan. Could it be that what's right in front of you right now, and not that thing you're looking out the window and hoping would happen, or not that goal that you're working towards, that what's right in front, you may get to that goal. Don't mistake me. I'm not saying that your plans for your life are incorrect. I'm just saying where you are right now is where God put you. In other words, what you're waiting for may still come to you, but it may require this season of waiting in order for it to come to fruition. You have to be the person that God made you to be in order to meet that destination. He can't just hand it to you right now because it wouldn't work. Just like I said, what if he had given the disciples the kingdom they wanted and said, okay, sure, let's get an army and go in and kick out the Romans. How small-minded is that? Think of, he, he was going to bring them eternal salvation and glory and they just wanted 20 years of political freedom. That's, that's the kind of difference that there is between our plans for our life and the better one God has. Because he can see all the way to the end of eternity, and we can't even see what's going to happen in 10 minutes from now. I'm not kidding. Think about it. Now, quickly, because I have a, you know, 
bad reputation for talking too long around here. Uh, and I deserve it. Let's look at the, the unfaithful slave in, in verses 20 and 22. What did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? See, he came and said the other two were, they were all given the same amount, one pound. And one of them made 10 pounds, one of them made five. And it doesn't say the person made 10 pounds. It said the pound that you gave me made 10 pounds. The pound that you gave me made five pounds. Make sure you know that. These guys didn't do it. The pound did it. The thing that was given to them by the king, the one who had the power, gave them that pound, and it happened. They didn't do it. And what did he do? This third slave, why was he unfaithful? Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you because you're a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. Well, there's a couple things wrong with this guy, but the first thing, by contrast, we can just see, he did not see an increase in the thing that he was given. He was entrusted with the same thing as the other two, and they saw an increase, a multiplication of what was given to them, and he didn't see that. So by contrast, that's the first problem, and we're going to get to that. But more than that, he blames this master who gave him the coin. He blames the master for his own failure. He blames the master for his own irresponsibility. I hope you hear what I'm getting at here. I hope you can tell what I'm winding up towards. He impugns the character of his master. He says, you're a harsh master. You take what is not yours. Notice, you take what is not yours. You take what I don't have. Now, I want to stop here real quick, and I want you to just quietly consider this, please. Is there something in your life you're saying this to God about? Is there something that God has laid before you, a situation, the situation you're in right now, something that you're in the middle of, a trial, a difficulty, something you're waiting for that's just not coming quick enough, something in your marriage, your marriage period, maybe something that you just say, Lord, you're being harsh to have put me in this situation in the first place, something with your children, an illness. We've, we've heard about all kinds of difficulties today of, of other women in our community who are dealing with this in pregnancy with their children, being ill. I mean, just waiting for that operation that my heart breaks to think of the feeling underneath that. There's things like this that, that aren't fair. We're not, I'm not going to say, oh, well, this is happening because of something bad you did. It, it's just suffering that, that feels senseless, something that you had to give up. In your life, maybe it's smaller than that. Maybe you're saying, well, mine's nothing by comparison to having a sick child. Nonetheless, this is what's going on in your heart. It's spiritually as significant because God wants to push you past it. Something you had to give up, something you had to take up, something that you're being asked to take up now that you feel like you don't have the time or the energy to do. And now you've started to say, maybe openly, because I've heard people admit this openly, and maybe you've never admitted it to yourself, but you realize this is your heart attitude. God is a harsh master, like, like a... Like Naomi said in the book of Ruth, he's dealt bitterly with me. He's a harsh master, and I can't bear up under it. He wants something for me that I don't have. He reaps where he did not sow. He didn't give me enough. He didn't give me what I need to get through this. He has taken all I had. I'm going to obey him. See, we don't, we don't say, well, he doesn't exist anymore. So it's not an issue of faith in whether God exists. It's, well, he exists, and I'm going to obey him, but I'm only going to obey him because he's the king and I'm the subject, and I have to. I'm a slave. I have no choice. I'm going to grit my teeth, and begrudgingly, I will just obey what God told me to do. Lord, you gave me this pound. I'm going to wrap it up in this cloth, and when you come back, here's your pound. You have what's yours. I, I didn't mean that to be funny. Now, I say this, uh, uh, please listen to me, I'm being dead serious right now. 
and some of you are laughing, but some of you know that this isn't funny. You know what I'm talking about. I say this to you in love and, and mercy and grace, but do you know this is a wrong attitude of the heart? And listen, I'm saying this to you today, not in a way of condemnation, but to say to you that if you're thinking this, then you're serving someone who you think wants, is out to get you. I want you to understand God's mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. You understand, we sing those songs, we grew up singing those songs, come thou fount of every blessing, streams of mercy never ceasing. Oh, we hear that, oh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. But then we turn around, we go in our prayer closet, we shake our fists in God and say, why'd you do this to me? You're a harsh master. No one can bear up under this. You want something for me that I don't have. I, I hope you hear what I'm saying today. That is a wrong attitude of the heart. And furthermore, listen to me. You cannot take this too seriously. Whom do you think has whispered those things in your ear about God? Whose voice are you, you listening to? Because it's not another person. It's not you. You know. You know the word. You know that isn't true about God. Who is whispered? You, you know who I'm talking about? The enemy of our souls, you understand? Well, whose voice are you listening to if you continue to think that way about your Savior, about the one who sent his only son to die, to shed his blood, to be sacrificed and suffered and rejected on earth so that you could have eternal salvation and you're telling him he's a harsh master? Who's whispering that in your ear? Don't listen to that voice any longer, please. Please begin to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit and receive the grace that's been offered to you. You understand, when this man impugns the master's character, He's got it all wrong. He's got it all backwards. The servant in this parable failed because he lost faith in two things. And I want to illuminate this for you. First, he lost faith in the goodness of God. And that's why he impugns his character. Listen, if we're at a certain point of maturity in our walk, and I said this already, we don't, we don't usually doubt that God exists any longer. That's not what, what, I'm not up here to tell you, you've got to have faith that God exists. And, you know, it says in the book of James, even the demons believe that God exists and they shudder. You believe him, you do well. That's not what faith is. It's not about believing he exists. It's about knowing him and trusting him. You can believe he exists and not trust him. And that's what this is about. And that's why I say faith is not just about belief, it's about trust. We don't often doubt his existence, but we can come to doubt the character of God. We can come to doubt that he really is good because of all of these things that are right here in front of us. I call that, that's the horizontal view instead of the vertical view. We're just looking at all this stuff, and it's very difficult because it's not good. So we have to believe maybe he's not good. And the second thing this servant lost faith in was the transformative supernatural power of his master. You see, he gave him one pound, and he said, well, if I take this pound and take a risk by doing business with it, if I take a risk by investing it, I could make 10 more pounds, but I might lose it, and then I'm going to be in trouble. Because he thought that he was the one that was supposed to take that pound and make something out of nothing. And that's what we do. We look at the Lord and say, well, you want something from me I don't have. You gave me one pound. You're asking me for 10. I don't have 10. What do you want from me? And we do this to the Lord because he is asking something great for us because our inheritance is great. But what you don't understand is the pound is what made 10 pounds. The pound is what made 5 pounds. The Lord's saying, if you just open your hand and you trust me, I'm going to do it. But you have to trust that my power is enough to take that one thing and make it into 10. Because of course you can't do it. His supernatural power is what makes it enough to multiply the small thing that he's given us according to his will. See, he gives us just a little so that we can learn to trust him, so that we can see that when we trust him, what his power is capable of. Remember, 
This is my favorite example of this. When they went to feed the 5,000, the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, you all know the story. It's a very famous Sunday school story. But here's what, what happened. They were on a hillside and Jesus was teaching and it started to get late. And the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, send these people away to go get dinner in the towns because it's getting late. They're going to be hungry. And he looks at them and he says, you give them something to eat. He, he's saying, I want you to make 10 pounds out of this one pound. So they say what we always say to the Lord when he asks us to have faith in his power and his goodness. They say, Lord, where are we going to get money to buy dinner for all these people to eat? Send them away so they can go get dinner. You give them something to eat. And they just look at him and he says, and listen, listen. He says to them, what do you got? What do you have? And you can hear the sarcasm. They're like, okay, we have five loaves of bread and two fish and there's 5,000 families here. So that's what we got. That's sarcastic. That's like, yeah, sure. Here's my one pound and you want 10. Where's that coming from? And he says, that's good. I can work with that. That's what he's saying to you. You want me to change your marriage? You want me to rescue it from the brink of disaster? You want me to heal your children? You want me to heal you emotionally, rescue you from fear and anxiety, whatever's going on in your life? You want me to take that pound and make it into 10? No, I'm not asking you to do it, but you have to let go. You have to trust me, and I'm going to do it. That's what he's saying. And do you understand this is what he's saying? What do you got? Just give me what you got. It's just like Moses. Moses is standing in front of the Red Sea. He's, he's standing there like this. He's got the soldiers of Pharaoh behind him and the Red Sea in front of him and a million Israelites screaming, cursing his name, going, why would you bring us out here to die right here in the desert? This is ridiculous. And he looks up and says, Lord, what can I do? And the Lord said, what you got in your hand? What do you got? All he had in his hand was a staff. And he said, okay, we can work with that. Stretch out the staff. Just give me what you got in your hand and I'll do the rest. Stretch out the staff and the sea parts in half. You see what I'm saying? Jesus said, what do you got? You got five pieces of bread and two fish? Give me that. And he made it be so much, he multiplied it. You see, that's what happened here. He gave them one pound, and your pound made ten pounds. By your power. You hear that? He multiplied it. He made something out of nothing. And that's why he says, you wicked slave, I'm going to judge you by your own words. You knew, did you, that I, that I reaped what I did not sow? He's like, that's right. All I got to do is sow one seed. I'll get 20 trees out of that. Because his power is that strong. He's that powerful. You see, the world will say to you, oh, you got this one little pound right here. This is your marriage. If you go to counseling and you read these books and you do these little checklists of things that you're supposed to do and not do for your husband and he's supposed to do and not do for you every single day, here's what we'll do. We'll preserve this pound. We're going to wrap it up in a cloth and that way you won't get divorced. You'll stay married. We kept the pound. Here, Lord, you have what is yours. Let me tell you what God wants to do. If you will stop putting faith in all that self-help stuff and you would trust God with your marriage, even if you don't see immediate results and you would trust him. Let me tell you what he's going to do. He isn't just going to preserve your pound. He isn't just going to go, look, you didn't get divorced. He's going to make you and your husband more in love with each other. He's going to make your marriage better. He's going to make you better parents than you ever were the first day you laid eyes on each other. But only God can do that. Do you understand me? Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. The world can't give you that. They can just wrap up the pound and give it back to you. So you have to have faith, not just that he's good, but that his power can do things that we can't do but that his power can perform things that are not possible by human understanding. He says, God can make a way where there is no way. With with man, this is not possible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So listen, he gives us that little bit, 
so that we can learn to trust him. And when we trust him, here's what happens. We learn about his true character. We stop impugning his character. We stop calling him a harsh master. We stop thinking that things aren't fair in our lives. And we learn about his true character. We learn about the goodness of God. We learn about that mercy. We learn about the sacrificial love of God. And then he takes that thing that we've, we've started to open our hand and trust him with, and he multiplies it beyond measure. He wants to bless you. He doesn't want to take that thing away from you. He doesn't want to rob you. He wants to multiply what he's given you. He wants to make it bigger. That's why he said to me, oh, you got big plans for your life. I got a better one. Your plan is like this one little pound. I got 10 pounds. But you have to take your hands off that life, Margo, and you got to give it to me. And I didn't want to. I wanted to be in charge. That's what this is about. You, I guarantee you, whatever you're asking for, he wants to do better for you than what you're asking. You can't even, ima- you can't even come up with a prayer good enough to ask him, he could think of something better. You just got to open your hand and give it to him. And so I, I know I need to close soon, but I want to tell you something. I want to pray for you for a couple of minutes before I get down from here. Some of you are taking that one little pound he gave you and you're squeezing the life out of it. You wrapped it up in a cloth in the, in the book of uh, Matthew. In, this parable is a little bit different, but in it, the servant takes it and buries it. You see, some of you have just buried it, just sat on top of it and said, fine, I'm going to obey you, but I'm going to grit my teeth. Some of you are hiding it. Some of you are angry. Some of you are sad. You're feeling sorry for yourself, like God's picking on you. Some of you are angry. You want to push back at him. Some of you are sadly resigned. That's not abundant life. That's not what God promised you. That's not the multiplication that he promised you when you said, I'll hand you this one thing. He didn't say, okay, let's just preserve it. He said, let me bless it and transform it and turn it into something you could never have even imagined. It's not possible by human standards. But he can't do that. He can't multiply it and he can't bless it until you let go of it. He isn't going to pull it out of your hand. You have to open your hand and trust him with whatever it is. And I think a lot of you in this room have a thing that's in your head right now. Whatever I'm talking about, it's that. It could be your marriage. It could be something about your children. It could be like me. It could just be a life situation. You thought things were going to go differently and they're not. It could be any number of things. But you know what it is. Let him do it. Let him drive. Let him take it. Now, in the thing that I gave you here, I gave you some verses to meditate on the right side and on the left side, except for the part I asked you to block out. Uh, there's some things. It's basically what I've been talking about today. You could take it home and meditate on it. But look, inside this pink box, in the middle, right in the middle, it says, ask him today, Lord, what have you given me to do at this time? What is in my hand? And uh, what I want you to do is, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to close Um, I want you to all bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to ball up your hand in a fist and put it in your lap. Now I want you to ask the Lord in your heart. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I pray for all these ladies here right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the presence of your anointing and your Holy Spirit going forth in this room right now. Lord, I pray for your healing power. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to multiply and to just bless and to enlarge all that you've given these women in their hearts, so many great treasures here, so much wisdom and joy and just humility and attitude of service, Lord. But but right now I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open their hearts, Lord, to see what's in their hand. While your fists are still closed, say, Lord, show me what's in my hand. Some of you already know, you don't even have to wait. It's like he's been knocking on your door for a half hour. Um, Lord, show me what's in my hand. Show me what it is that you've given to me. And then here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. Some of you in this room, are, this message is working in your heart right now. The Holy Spirit's working in your heart. And you're ready to let go and just let him take it and trust him. Trust in his goodness and his power to multiply it. 
And, and if that's you right now, nobody's looking around, everybody's eyes are closed, I want you to raise up your hand and open it. Just as a symbol to the Lord that you're giving it to him. But there's some people in this room where you know that you're guilty of what I'm talking about. You know that you've done this and it hurts your heart to know that you've done it, but you know that you're not ready to let go of it yet. Because you just think, I can't. I'm not there emotionally. I'm not there spiritually. I can't let go of this thing. I'm, I've been holding on to it so long. I'm afraid if I let go, my hand's going to fall off. And you know what? You want to let go of it, but you can't. And if that's you, I want you to hold up a clenched fist. And I want you to say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I want you to take my hand off of it. I want you to change my heart. I want you to change my mind so that I would be able, by your grace, by God's grace, you see, not by something we do, by the grace of God, to open my hand and give it to you. And he will answer that prayer. And if you're not ready for any of this today and you don't even know what the heck I'm talking about, I want to pray for you too. You just leave that fist in your lap and you say, Lord, Reveal yourself to me in a real way that I might understand who you are, that I might learn to see you as my master, a good and perfect master who has made me not just his subject, not just his slave, like I've heard my whole life from church and from the Bible. Oh no, who has made me his child, his precious daughter. You understand, a daughter of the king. And if so, an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And I pray that God will reveal himself for you in that way. I'm going to quickly close in prayer. Lord God, I pray for all these Wonderful women here, Lord, who in humility have offered their hearts up to you, Lord, and have offered you whatever this thing is, Lord. I thank you that your word searches the secret places in our heart, Lord God, to root those things out. And Lord, we thank you that this is a message not of condemnation. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so the world might be saved. Hallelujah. And Lord, you say in Second Peter that we must regard your patience with us as salvation. You're not slow to answer our promises. You're rather, you're being patient. You're waiting for us to come to repentance so that you can give us salvation. The patience of the Lord is our salvation. Hallelujah. And Lord, I pray right now a blessing over every single lady in this room as they go out from here as mothers, as wives, and as your daughters and heirs to your glory, Lord God, that you would just anoint them with a fresh ability, Lord, to trust you and just a fresh picture of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.